Check, check. One, two. Check, check. Arlen will not be at energy here. Christina. We have a quorum today. That are before us today. Starting with the first on that, we are contracting with Leighton to um, relationship with us, seeing the and Leandro build out so that they can transfer. Oh, fair enough. At this point. Perfect. So again, thank you for for the opportunity. So this is this is a project that we've been talking about for the last several months, um, and we're now to the point as we had committed back in January when we gave you an update on the project. Uh, we've uh, since then received and reviewed our the contractor at risk that uh, is going to help us carry the project forward through completion. So I wanted to take some time and share with you again just a, the quick background of the project, uh, the contracting structure, and explain what this contractor at risk is, uh, and then our next steps. As I mentioned um, before, you've seen this slide, it's really the, the Fairmont project which is moving our acute rehab services from uh, the Fairmont location to San Leandro Hospital. Um, that is taking the fourth floor and part of the third floor to end up with, an, with a total number of 28 acute rehab beds at our San Leandro facility, meeting the seismic requirements of Senate Bill uh, 90 for 2020. Project background, uh, again, this just gives you a, a visual of a stacking diagram looking at uh, the fourth floor, which is where you have all of your inpatient rooms and some activity areas, and the third floor is primarily for support spaces and uh, treatment spaces for the activities of daily living. Uh, which includes an outdoor patio area that's on the roof. The uh, contract, so the Fairmont uh, relocation project, it was uh, originally des uh, intended to be done as a design-build project. Unfortunately, when it was, uh, when the contract was awarded, it wasn't clearly defined or designated as design-build. Therefore, the design firm, Aditas, was unable to complete the construction aspect Whose of it. Whose fault was that? Yeah. I, you know, this is, uh, this goes back some, I don't have the answer to that. I'm not sure exactly how that did not uh, make the, the agreement or how that was clearly defined in the contract, but uh, that was something that we as AHS failed to clearly identify that when we engaged in the agreement with Aditas. Why are we using them again? If no, no, this has nothing to do with Aditas. We as AHS did not specify in our agreement, in our contract with them, that we were going to have them perform this work as a design build. But they did not sign as well, right? No, so what happened was, uh, so just to back up on this, you know, we engaged with them. This was pre-2014. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the key here and the goal was that we wanted Aritas to put together the plans to, to meet the OSHPA deadline for project submittal for compliance for 2020. They did that, and we received the OSHPA approvals for the project. The project, however, was based on several contingent uh, deferred approvals for special systems, Division Zero, for all those other aspects of it, which were then going to be part of the design-build process. Well, we did not and we could not move forward with them on a design-build agreement because it was not clearly specified pre-2014 when they initially engaged with us. Okay? So then what we did was, after we received the approvals from Oshpot, they came back with their, you know, the... Uh, the permit with some contingencies and some changes that needed to be made to the contract. So then what we did was we came back to you, uh, to the board in January of this year, requesting an amendment to the Aditas contract to not only complete the deferred approvals that now will now coincide with the work that's being done by, that will be done by the proposed contractor here, Layton, to finish the deferred approvals 
as well as address those um, those areas that were identified by Oshpot as you know red lines and deficiencies in the in the drawings that needed to be addressed uh, to fix that. And then it was a construction administration for the duration of the project. So that's what that amendment consisted of. So that's that's where Aditas was uh, initially. That's where we amended to not only correct and address the uh, issues that were identified during plan review in Oshpod and for their construction administration for the life and the duration of the project. How much sense? does that omission cost us in time and money? Well, I'm, I'm not going to say that it, it's costing us any money. It's just a different delivery model. So in the sense, when, when you do a design-build project, you're paying one firm, in this case would have been Aditas, and then Aditas would have been responsible to hire the contractor, to hire the subcontractors, and to essentially not only design it, but partner with our contractor to complete the deals and, and, and complete the project, deliver the project. What happened was when they submitted that, uh, when they submitted their drawings, and we initially engaged in our contract, we didn't define it as design build, we just defined it as design services. Then Osh, uh, when they submitted their plans to Oshpod, Everything was reviewed and everything was proceeding, moving forward. And when we were looking to engage with Aditas to, okay, let's continue now with the design build program, it was brought to our attention by legal counsel that, hey, we can't do that. We can't continue with them uh, under the design build structure. So, so then. They hadn't got it either. Right. No, but it, it's, excuse me, public contracting requirement. quite frankly, don't even under our enabling legislation, which basically accepts us from a certain standpoint of, you know, um, and I think that they're actually, it might have all changing, you know, the list. Correct. So that's what, so as I'm showing in the slide here, again, their contract was initially only for design. It did not include construction. So again, this is where government code section 1090 comes in and says it prevents, you know, it prohibits the design firm from bidding and construction work when it wasn't originally designated as a design. Since we did that, that's when we went ahead and, and uh, had to go through the amendment process to not only provide them with the pension for contract administration so they can deliver the project, but also finish the scope and the work that was going to be done, uh, completing the deferred approvals in partnership with the, with the contractor at risk. So the reason now we're going with a contractor at risk, instead of, a, instead of going with the general contractor concept when you have a design firm that does the entire design and then they, you go out with a general contractor and they bid on this complete set of design, the contractor at risk model, which are the three primary delivery methods for any construction project, design build, contractor at risk, or design bid build, general contractor relationship. What we've done here is we're going into that middle space, leveraging that so we can, you know, kind of that next following step of we, we're not doing design build, we'll go ahead and do a contractor at risk, we're now the contractor is assuming some of that responsibility and liability to say, okay, hey, I'm partnering with you, Aditas. We're going to go ahead and review, and we're going to help you develop and finalize those deferred approvals. We're going to get the permits. We're going to bring in the, the contractors. We're going to offer you a guaranteed maximum price, and we're going to deliver the project. If they fail to do so, then they're at risk. That's what essentially we're doing. So that's what I explained through these next couple of slides here. So uh, we needed to go into three separate contracts. So we wanted to do the Aditas Amendment, which we talked about earlier in January, which was, which was approved. The process has been ongoing. Now we're ready to move forward with our contractor at risk, which is what is on the table now, duration and approval. And then we also, if you recall, we have a construction manager services, which is the owner's representative that's going to then make sure that both of those entities are addressing our needs. So now we're looking at, uh, again, the existing Aditas contract for 
their design services. This is just re you know re recapturing what we had discussed and what you guys had uh, approved, what the board approved in in, in January of 2017. Uh, now we're looking at the contractor at risk for pre-construction and construction services. So again, this is now for us taking that second step. So now we're going to go ahead and have latent construction, should it be approved, partner with Aditas, finish and finalize the drawings, obtain the, proposed, the, the, the bids from all of the subcontractors, and develop a guaranteed maximum price. Okay, so that, that partnership and now completion with uh, full, uh, full approval from Oshpod, that's what the scope of work is providing us for the $1.7 million. So they're not delivering the entire project for $1.7 million. As you guys recall, this is a project estimate of about $30 million for the entire project. So this is just to complete that, that scoping. Our plan is to then come back to you, the board, to say, okay, they've completed their assessment, they've completed the drawings, we've received OSHPOT approvals, and now I have a guaranteed maximum price from our contractor at risk of X. And then that's what will come to you for that final and formal approval, and then they can begin mm -hmm. and deliver the project. Who's actually going to be the, the builder on the project? Latent construction. Based yes, in they Utah, sir. So they are not like a California company. They're based in Utah? Yeah. They have a they, office in San Jose. They have a, they have a large office in San Jose. They, How were they selected? Did I miss that somewhere in the process? I think you said there were three, no? Yeah, I read the three, but I didn't read the other three. Yeah. They were. I didn't know if we'd get a deal because using Clark, who built this facility, or... Was that one the one? No, no. We uh, so in the in the for the contractor at risk, we only received one response to the RFP, there's, and it the was one. There's another one in there for uh, the. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, that's for the MRI. Oh, the MRI. That's for the that's for the MRI project. The one that had three. Uh, yes, yeah. that's for the MRI project. For the for the for the San Leandro project, we only got one uh, qualified contractor, and that was latent construction for construction at risk. So we've reviewed that, and we're, you know, the, the, again, everything looks consistent with, with uh, uh, construction practices and the dollars that, uh, that we're looking at. So, again, we went, uh, we, why did we go with this? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we wanted to make sure that we had the benefit of working and partnering and collaborating with a design firm and making sure that they have some stake in, in delivering this project. Uh, the construction manager services, as I mentioned to you, this is really just the liaison and the owner's representative to ensure that the project is being delivered on time, on budget, on schedule. Uh, so the next steps, uh, really, uh, you uh, hopefully uh, will uh, you know, give us approval to move forward with uh, latent construction uh, now here in April. Uh, we will finalize uh, those, those designs and the deferred approvals April, May of 2017, uh, complete the award and guaranteed maximum price by June of 2017. Uh, hopefully uh, our plan, and we still remain on schedule uh, as what was presented back in January, with a construction start of August 17, with a delivery project delivery of uh, end of 2018. So uh, we're still on. Uh, we're still tracking. We have we have some, what I would consider to be some um, contingency time in our schedule. So you know uh, we don't we have to be fully uh, moved in and occupied in, in the new location by December 31st uh, of 2019. And so we have some time in our schedule. We finished the project. We're scheduled to finish the project around September or so. Um, but 2018. Again, correct. So we have some time that takes us on after that. You're looking at, uh, you know, um, uh, fitting out the space and, and licensing and, and going through all of the regulatory requirements and then the physical move 
and that transition. And so we give ourselves some time, some several months. So we have, uh, again, quite a bit of, of, of time and cushion to, to deliver the project. So that's that's where we're at. That's okay. what we've decided to move forward with. This is the schedule and the time frame that we're looking at. And that's what's for consideration in your approval or the board's approval here. Yeah, and, and so just to be clear, the, the authority for this type to enter into a design build agreement was not granted until after the agreement without a cause was signed. Design build in California for public agencies, it's phased over time. It started out that trans operations could engage in design build projects and then it extended to municipalities, counties. Local agencies such as us did not get the authority to even enter into that type of agreement until And because we never anticipated having that, the opportunity to agreement, that's why the original didn't include it. So. Any other thoughts or questions? Yeah. I, I was just wondering, I mean, and I only de dealt with home renovation contractors. That's complex but, enough. But, uh, but Ashpad, if, if there are deficiencies in the design, it's not built into the contract that when you, we, we send it, you're designing and you send it to Ashpad, there are deficiencies, it comes back and you finish the design, even if it's going to be someone else doing the build. Like, isn't that part of that? Like, uh, that the design comes to fruition when it's all, like, set to go? So, so they do. So there's a couple of things. I mean, I, you know, one of the variables and the different variables that happens with the state is, you know, they, there's a code change in the process. So they, they start to design and they're designing this based on 2012 uh, Title 24 building codes. And then by the time we submit and by the time we move forward and we're getting this done, there's a change in the regulations. So then Title 22 or Title 24, which is the, the licensing and the construction codes, they come back and say, you know what, you need to have an additional nurse station because of the new layout that you're proposing. So it's not that they didn't they did anything wrong. It's that, you know what, it there's, there's a, it, it's something that now needs to be added to the scope of work to meet the new guidelines and regulations. So there's there's changes that occur in that nature, and that's what resulted in this particular uh, amendment that we that we awarded to them in January was that there was a request for an additional nurse station, there was an additional request for an isolation room, there was a couple of restrooms. So so there were some things that we needed that, again, were not necessarily that they did something wrong or yeah. failed to do something, it's just that it was identified as part of the licensing process based on what they wanted to see based on the new layout of the structure. Because I assume in my summary memo, if we decided that we didn't support it, I would include that we'll move it on since we can't vote on it, but we didn't think it was such a great idea. But. Okay, so thank you for that. Um, shall we go to uh, 3B, Alameda County Sheriff's Office, in addition yes. to a contract? Okay. Um, yes, this is a proposal for a two-year renewal or extension, technically, of the arrangement we have with the Alameda County Sheriff's Office, under which they provide 24-7 coverage for security services at the Highland Campus. Um, I think in the summary, it basically outlines everything. One of the elements that is, I think, perhaps germane is the number of FTEs being purchased, essentially. There are 10 sheriff's deputies and one sheriff's sergeant who collectively provide the staffing for the 24-7 coverage. Um, in addition, this is a two-year extension as opposed to the one-year contract that we're currently under. So mm -hmm. when comparing the prices before and after, sticker shock should not be completely over the top. Um, however, that being said, 
on page two of the summary, um, there is a breakdown of the pass-through of the increases that are negotiated by the union that negotiates on behalf of ACSO. And as a consequence, we just accept those. Now, since this is a two-year contract, and they only do one-year negotiations for the union rates, we know for certainty what the rate will be for the first of the two years. We have included in here a caveat that the proposed second-year extension is expected to be an increase, as indicated here. Right. What is important, and I discussed with um, my team, is that we'll make a note once this and if this contract is approved, such that when we're coming close to that first-year anniversary, we will reach out to our contact at the Sheriff's Department and we will confirm whether or not their estimate was true. If for any reason that actual amount exceeds the total aggregates in this, we will in all likelihood, after consulting with legal, come back and at least advise the board and or perhaps come back and ask for permission for that delta. Okay. okay. Aside from that, as far as I know, they have been providing services for all, over 20 years and we're quite happy and comfortable with them. Are there any detailed questions you might have? No, I'm None. comfortable. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. That is as contract extension. Yes, um, this is line item tab 3C. Um, to compare, though, this is a different arrangement with Aditaz than the one on tab 3A. Um, this is for um, enabling the support of the bidding process and continued architectural and design consultation for a, let me get this acronym correct, the build-out of the Sim Lab associated with the Health Professionals Training and Education Center, HPTEC. Um, this is one additional element, the majority, I believe, of the work with regards to design and permitting for the Sim Lab has been contemplated under the underlying agreement. Um, I don't think I have any additional elements here. Are there any particular questions? The money for this particular <coughs> request is uh, from the foundation? It, it was. It's from the, the Health Atlantic. Atlantic. Yeah. It came, yes, it came from the, the Atlantic one, right? Philanthropies, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. so, and what's the timeline for this one? The underlying contract was originated on the 16th of February of last year, and it was to have expired on the end of August of this year. This amendment will also contain an extension term that will take that from 831.17 through an extension of 1231.17, when the underlying services plus those that are proposed in this amendment should be completed. That's, so, that's for the that's design. For the design. Right. For the, yes, I'm sorry. 2020 is when it's going to be built. No, 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 no. So our, our goal, I mean, we were, again, I, I will say that our, our, our target was to hopefully have that done before the end of this fiscal year. Unfortunately, because of some challenges we had with the permitting process with the county building officials. So that has nothing to do with Oshpa. It was actually the county building officials had some concerns regarding the egress path because it's, it, this location is, is right underneath us here in the parking structure. So you know, the egress path was one of the areas of concern. We've been able to address those, all, those, all those issues, but that took a long time for us to get those approvals from the county. Uh, once we got that, which we were successful in several weeks ago, now we're ready to execute. So this amendment here to Aditas Contract is for the construction administration of Correct. delivering the project. We're currently working with uh, IRIS team to develop master services agreements for contractors, and we're looking at this project being about a 90-day project. So our goal is to... I can tell you right now, my goal is to have this project completed before the end of this year. Fiscal year? Uh, before calendar. the end of this calendar, calendar year. Calendar year that's 
Sorry. Before, yeah, no, before the end of this calendar year. Everybody at once. That's, that's pretty. So that's what we're hoping to do. That's what we're working towards, and, and I feel very comfortable and confident that we'll be able to do so. Yeah, this, this funding came through in 2014, early January, I think, of 2014. So good, good. Thank you. All right. I have 3D. I have 3D, Colin Construction Company. Um, under this tab, there are actually two proposed um, statements of work, I believe, and they're pursuant to a master services agreement. This is essentially to support MRI in the bigger picture. So the first of the two t um, statements of work is with regards to requesting Colin to provide the design and essentially the kit out of the pre-existing space in the tower that will be the recipient of the new 3T magnetic resonance imaging scanner from GE purchased under a different arrangement. Um, once that is done, there is the sequencing to the second SOW, and that will be quite definitely sequential and on purpose. That then is going to be a update and modification so that it will be, I think, a refurbish and an upgrade of the existing 1.5T MRI. And as the numbers might indicate, the higher the T, the greater the resolution, so it's better in general. Um, with the reasoning for the sequencing instead of simultaneous, it is because we currently are reliant on that 1.5T device and it's taking all of our patient burden, so we can't have it being down at the same time we don't have the new one, is my understanding. Um, aside from that, are there any drill down or detail? And this questions? is, and as you're aware, this is also through the foundation to the grant that we received from Kaiser mm -hmm. to uh, execute and purchase this equipment and deliver on the, the good work of our foundation with a little help from the CEO of the health system, as I recall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which also reminds me, I just bought tickets to the gala on May 6th, so oh, I hope people it. are going to support the yes, foundation's gala. It's always great fun so that we can continue to do good work by MRIs. So, Any questions for you? No, no questions. Okay. Thank you very much. We're fine with that. Of course. Okay. Um, Moving on to the next Royal one. Royal Ambulance. Okay. Royal Ambulance. Okay. Um, this had a bit longer of a summary. I wanted to give enough detailed information. Um, this is a contract that was the result of an unexpected and unfortunate termination of our current incumbent provider of services. Who left the marketplace? Um, the I don't know that they left the marketplace, my, my understanding. But uh, they, they weren't able to make this contract work with the, uh, <clears throat> the rates that we did. So they asked to be relieved. And there was a provision to allow them to mm -hmm. yes. yes. Something mm -hmm. plus was what was the name of the company? Westman. Westman. Westman, thank you. Westman. <coughs> yes. No, no worries. Um, so as a consequence of that setting the stage, we then worked um, collaboratively with a number of business owners, um, and we worked to identify who was the best alternative vendor. And at the result of a detailed process, we identified Royal Ambulance as that vendor. Um, we have gone through and essentially been providing or asking them to provide the similar level of services. It's a similarly structured contract to that which we enjoyed with WestMed. There's one critical caveat, and that is since there were financial concerns that led to the incumbent's withdrawal, if you will, from this current contract, we wanted to make sure that we had a really good understanding of was it completely on their side, or were there any elements that perhaps when we entered into the incumbent's original agreement, we didn't understand as well. So as a result of that, we did a deeper analytic. I think everyone came to a greater understanding of the realities of the marketplace, especially our marketplace as we have a different patient mix than many of the other hospital area in this area.
as a result of that, it became quite clear, and I think that will be seen in the board summary, that there was an overly, an overzealous estimation of what anybody could realistically make their business on and cover their costs. So after looking through everything, we talked to various numbers of vendors, Royal gave us the best offer, and we feel that we have a structure that, from a pricing perspective, as well as a structured perspective of the way the compensation is scheduled, will allow them to make a reasonable return on their investment, as well as, to be blunt, just cover their costs, which is something we need to ensure, not only to be fair, but to make sure that we don't get ourselves in the same pickle in a few months or a year's time. So with that, one key change from the current contract with WestMed is that in addition to having a basically per transport rate that's determined by, among other things, certain categories of transport that come from CMS, there is also a, the equivalent, if you will, of a fixed rate that is, you can call it a stipend, that's how this company referred to it, but essentially it's designed to cover those resources they must commit in order to meet our requirements on them to deliver certain turnaround times for service. And so they're like, we work back and forth with them, and they're like, well, this will take this number of rigs to be dedicated to you, and this will require this number of personnel at this and this level of qualification to be dedicated to you, this number of hours. So when we backed into it, we generated essentially a fixed rate, you can call it the stipend, un which underpins the per transport rate. And after that, that's how we essentially backed into the overall cost. And that is listed here. Now it is important to know that this is our best estimate based on our ability to understand what our current transport requirements are and to project into the future. And this is a three-year term agreement. So hopefully we will be accurate, but we'll also be monitoring. If the, there is a greater requirement than what we estimated, I anticipate we would also come back to inform the board at the very least. Okay. Um, are there any particular drill-down questions or concerns at this time? I don't have any, but I wanted to say thanks for giving this yeah, level of helpful. detail. It's really helpful, and for especially because we're thinking patient satisfaction on so many other levels. Just to know this, this level of granularity is very helpful. So thank I'm, you. I'm grateful. I worked on that one for about half a day, so I'm glad that that worked. Um, okay. The next item. Yes. Which wait. The GE Healthcare. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, this one, just as a heads up before I jump right in, this is one board summary to cover two proposed quotations. Um, and one of them, the first one under agreement, one under the first page of the summary, um, I understand that we would like to pull that at least temporarily. Um, we have some evaluations of our needs that need to be continued before we can decide with finality. So that's the first one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Then subsequently, though, to move down to the second one, Agreement 2, this is for the custom outbound MIDAS interface. Um, my understanding is that this essentially is enabling the MIDAS system, which captures a lot of quality metrics, among other things, for CMS reporting, and it will allow an interface, I believe, with the current G-centricity system, which captures a lot of the clinical data with regards to anesthesia admission. Um, from that, its main benefit is that this data has to be input manually into MIDAS right now. So there's a lot of keystrokes and a lot of man and woman hours that are engaged in that. So it's not only more costly, my understanding generally though is every time you have to do a keystroke, it's an opportunity for an error. 
and so you have an error issue here as well. Um, so from my understanding, that is essentially the crux of what that proposal is for. The litany, if you will, of on the second page and much of the third page of the summary is the history of all of the prior work that we have done with GE just entered into during this fiscal year. So we wanted to be clear about the background of what we've been doing with them. Aside from that, I think that that all I have to offer up front on that. Are there any drill-down questions that I might be able to address? $32,000 for IT. It's the biggest bargain on the planet, I think. So, <laughs> no so take that win. Okay. No questions. No questions. Okay. Um, the next item, if I might, would be Organogenesis. And yes, I think um, there was a little typo. We added an extra syllable. It should be organogenesis. I spent a day trying to pronounce it. No, I think right. it's organogenesis. When I thought, I was like, that's, that's too many syllables, I think, even for Anna. So, okay. Um, so, this was a bit of a new one to me. Um, from what I understood after Googling it and doing a little research on their website, they do appear to be a, gener uh, a vendor who creates um, biologic-based um, medications and treatments. Um, they're primarily used to help our patients who have chronic wound issues, so I assume that they, and other things, need things to help the wound heal in a better and faster fashion. Um, one of the things that I did want to mention here is, aside from this being a proposed restatement of an existing agreement, so we have a value relationship with this vendor, is when we did work and to coordinate with medical staff, which we always try to do on our contracts that have a clinically impactful element such as this, um, they gave their tentative blessing, if you will, to this, but they did say that they wanted to perhaps look a little bit deeper at the possibility of a different vendor downstream. To enable that deliberation and possible change in course in due time, um, we have included, I believe, elements in here that allow for termination with 60 days prior written notice. So we have allowed that flexibility. So is 60 days enough? I think that the normal reality is 60 days is the normal language that was included in the contract. In my experience, between 30 to 90 days is simply, it's just standard language I've seen in many contracts, including for this type of service. I think primarily you wouldn't expect the vendor who's just making money off a of selling product to want to get out of the relationship. In all likelihood, I'd be more concerned, is it going to give us the flexibility? And I would think that it would. Okay. No Any questions. other questions? No, thank you okay. very much. Uber. Uber. Okay. Well, um, with regards to Uber, now I want to draw a distinction in case you connected the dots, and that is we are asking for patient-related transport twice here. First was Royal, and then now for Uber. So the distinction off the top is Royal is an ambulance, not a Prius owned by Uber. But more importantly, the types of transport provided under Uber are for patient class that would not be covered by the agreement with Royal. They are primarily for transports of patients who, for various financial reasons, may not be able to afford to exit from our facility. And so we try to enable that. We need to take responsibility in some way, and we figured Uber is a more cost-effective mechanism for doing that, which we already have to handle anyway. Um, with Who's currently providing this category of transportation? That for is a really... Taxi. Just that taxis in general. Taxis right now. We, okay. we, we taxi offer and issue taxi vouchers to some of our patients oh, and as you know upon discharge. So this is just a much more efficient way of being able to manage that, track that, and, and, and have it uh, to where it's more automated. 
If a patient doesn't have a smartphone, how do they engage Uber? I, that is a very good question. I have never taken Uber, and I didn't work on I've the contract. I've taken it all the time, so, but you have to have a smartphone. You have to have a smartphone. I would imagine from the nature of which services are provided. I think it would be because we... We would initiate, yes. Like the smartphone is connected to your account and your... So, so they're calling into someone at AHS, and someone from AHS is booking the call. We arrange right? it, yeah. I Like, have you, have you ever sent an Uber to someone? Mm -hmm. No. So you can actually arrange to People see. actually pay to come see me. Well, <laughs> That's no, true, actually, in your field. That makes sense. I would pay to see you. Um, yeah, so you can do okay. it. So my, my, I don't know this for sure, certain, but my, my expectation would be that it's a contract with us and that we would facilitate Uber transport to location. I'm one vote, but I'm going to vote no on Uber because those guys, they are a bad company. They have like sexual harassment. So this is the month. And for us to be spending 1.2 million on a company that has, is, you know, ethically has um, shortchanged their drivers, you know, bad equity sharing with their employees or contractors, as you call it, bad things. So it's my one vote, but I would say there might be other ride-share options, no, locally. I know that, I mean, other cities, major cities have other similar ride-share options. So I don't know. I tried to see if there were some in the East Bay, and I couldn't, you know, I think there's a... I don't um, think there's any that have the breadth and the reliability yeah. as Uber. And um, I will be a yes. I agree everything that uh, Trustee yeah. Banjuri said, but every company is allowed a growing pain. Ford had the Pinto, which blew up if it hit a curb. Um, I think Uber's allowed to, I mean, it's an extraordinary service with a totally crass chief executive. I totally, I totally if I might agree. add just a couple of elements that could contextualize, this um, proposed award to Uber was the result of an RFP process. In that process, there were three initial vendors that we identified, and two of them submitted proposals, one of which was Uber. So if, after deliberation of the full board, there is a desire to look back further at another option, we would, in all likelihood, among others, look at that second um, vendor who submitted a proposal, and we could bring you information on that. One element to add before we move on, though, would also be with regards to costs of what Uber proposed, compared to the current amounts that we are incurring with various taxis right now, Uber's proposed rate on our current burn rate for this would result in about an 18% savings over the current That's amount. That's significant. Yeah, it would be. And I think other issues are, you know, we're obviously aware of the issues you've raised, which are very valid. It's our understanding that the company uh, has taken those uh, issues seriously and is taking steps to address them. And Uber is a local company. Mm -hmm. it's Yes, and I just think from a patient point of view, because of the breadth of their service locally, um, it's just going to be easier for us to swallow our pride and hopefully engage them. But of course, I just want to vote. Any other questions from you? No. Okay. Moving on to the next one, tab 3i would be M-Modal. Um, this here has... Um, Let's double check and make sure I'm organized here. Um, yes, this would be a statement of work that would be um, pursuant to one of the two current master services arrangements. Um, there are a number of applications that Immodal is providing for us, um, one of which has a general name of fluency. So sometimes I cannot be as fluent as I would like when I'm trying to actually describe what's going on. But the fundamental element is that we already have fluency applications at Highland San Leandro Hospital, which in broad levels are able to collect 
physician notes and dictation and transcribe them, I believe, electronically to populate into the record. So this is very useful and it's helpful. We already have an established base throughout part of our system. To facilitate part of the systemization, if you will, of radiology as a whole, we are looking to, under this proposed SOW, obtain permission to expand the fluency application in broader terms, as I understand it, to Alameda Hospital, which currently uses a different provider for PACS, the Picture Archive Computer System for Storing Imaging System, um, images, I should say, and this will then implement that. This will all then facilitate us to get to an enterprise-wide solution, I believe sometime in 2018 is the target when we will consolidate our current five radiology and cardiology pack systems into a single solution. So it's one step along the road. Of the elements that I think I have to offer as a non-clinician at this point, I think that would be about it, although I would say that as this obviously has distinct clinical ramifications, we did partner with medical staff in the form of the chair of the Department of Radiology to make sure that this was an appropriate spend. Are there any questions, any questions? at this no, point? No. Freed Associates. All right. Um, bringing it into the end, um, there are two separate board summaries for Freed Associates in this case. The first one is a statement of work that is proposed to um, essentially improve um, via consulting and management support to our revenue cycle improvement efforts, primarily focused on professional fee bill, um, professional billing. Um, I think if there are any specifics that David probably is the best one to speak to them or if there are any questions. This is an ongoing effort to improve our revenue collection. Do we get an annual matrix from them on exactly what they're saving us in reduced billing denials? Um, uh, we do have a metrics report. We did produce a, uh, a, a retrospective review a month ago when you weren't here okay. that quantified all those issues. This, this specific engagement is we're now focusing on professional billing. We're, we currently have a, another project not using free to rebuild Sorian to be able to bill for professional services. We've also completed a charge capture assessment for professional billing. We now want to bring that all together with uh, a new billing department, which we have to sort of build up. We have, you know, uh, we, we have a department, but it's really not functioning where it needs to be. And so uh, we want to get all that up and running by July 1st so that we can go after what we think is, you know, about a $5 million opportunity to improve professional uh, net revenue next year. This is. Okay. Are you content with that? Yep. Okay. All right. And then moving on to the last item on tab 3K, that would be another proposed SOW also with Freed. In this case, um, this is focused on support for the um, Morrissey system rollout for the um, medical staff office or the medical staff um, services MSS. Um, as I understand it, all there are many technical elements here in the broader scope, what the Morrissey system helps enable and automate to a certain degree is all of the various functions that the medical staff department has to engage in in order to credential and to make sure physicians are privileged, which there is a vast amount of referencing and to pull together data from many different areas in order to make sure things are going properly. Um, this, in broad strokes, is and designed to support further the Morrissey rollout, which has already started. Um, if there are any specific questions, there's enough nuance here that I did ask the director of the department to be here if you had any drill downs. Are is there? this because of the merging of the credentialing and all of that, or would that because the three systems are now merged? Right. 
Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Great Thanks, explanations. Of course. Oh, you know, before we go, can, can I point out that Ira has provided you with a separate report which we've committed to give you? The lifetime vendor spend? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is, um, I did notice that. Contracts that don't have to come to the board but nevertheless were approved over the last month. So we can information and That's check off really that box. Really save some pain. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Of course. Okay. Talks. Okay. Um, the financial report begins on page 64 of your package. Um, <clears throat> as usual, I'll give you a high-level overview and um, respond to questions anywhere through. Um, also, I want to note that um, the chairman has indicated a desire to like, standardize the format of this, and we're going to be spending some time together agreeing on what that looks like to make sure it meets everybody's needs. No, that's great. I mean, this is useful information. I just think, as we discussed, um, it's really helpful for the, the board to be able to look every time on a, that the format's presented in a way that we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time so that we maybe can be more effective. Absolutely. Or less yeah. effective. Okay. So uh, this is the report through February, so eight months, or seven months, I'm sorry. Um, we are profitable. Uh, we did have a uh, relatively good month in uh, February, even though the uh, volume was quite a bit lower because, number one, it's February, but even even with that, mm -hmm. the census was down below what you might expect. Uh, on a year-to-date basis, we're very close to budget. Uh, we're experiencing favorable net patient service revenue and supplemental revenue, um, and that is offsetting uh, expenses, which are currently over budget. Uh, those areas are registry, uh, contract position services, supplies, and maintenance. I uh, mentioned that discharges are pretty well below budget. We'll get, I'll show you some numbers in a minute. Uh, length of stay is um, up quite a bit. Length of stay is up about 20% uh, actually. The CMI is up as well. Uh, I can tell you that we did have a um, very productive revenue cycle review this morning and the uh, VP of case management, Sheila Lizewa, uh, we talked just about this issue. She said, well, one of the big problems is um, you know, she's trying to restructure her department, how case management occurs. She said case, you know, discharges really don't occur between Friday and Tuesday. So you wind up with, you know, this huge amount of pa patients sitting in beds, and, and often we get denials on these from payers because they look, you know, you're not doing anything with a the patient, they don't need to be in the hospital anymore, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so why? that's one of the, that's one of the issues. Of the week, discharges don't happen because either. we're not staffing case management over the weekend. And then plus it takes them a while to gear up on Mondays and nothing really happens till Tuesday. I don't know if it's zero, but she said you can watch it. It's, so know, we're not funding we're, case management, but we're funding nursing staff to take care of patients. And she's trying to restructure, them. She's trying to restructure the department to cover weekends. Okay, But, she, but you know, it's, it's their union agreements, their commitments about when staffing occurs. So it's a really hard problem to solve that she's working on. But her point is that, you know, if we could address that, then the length of stay would come down, mm -hmm. um, denials would go down, and we believe we'd still fill the hospital because the demand is there. Anytime we have an open bed, you know, Louise can tell you it's, it's full. So, so that's one of the big issues. I'm going to be coming back at a future meeting with our list of revenue cycle issues, but that's one of the, one of the big ones, and it kind of explains the um, increase in the length of stay this year. Okay. 
Is that a one-off meeting, um, or do you have those meetings weekly with um, that person? Or this is a, this how do you discuss the operational issues of the health system? That's something I've never. I mean, it's easy to say expenses are too high. David, please do yeah. something. But do do you have a, a meeting with your staff on the numbers every week? And because it's we've been three months and I haven't seen really a plan to get expenses under control. And oh, so there is uh, several. Uh, meetings that occur in, and there is a, so I, I regret you haven't seen a plan. Uh, I hope I think what you'll hear from the report is that there's a lot of activity happening that's addressing that. So we have a, a leadership team meeting once a week, uh, but that is not where all of this discussion happens. It happens at the sort of the area where the opportunity exists. So, so care management is is actually not a sort of it obviously has a revenue uh, impact, but it's an operating area, and it's actually under the chief medical officer now. So he meets with. Our, our VP for care management is in the back there uh, and talks to her about what's going on in this area where the opportunities exist. And as David is mentioning, she is having a series of conversations because this is not just a matter of sort of saying, I'm going to staff something differently. This is a historical sort of uh, baseline of, of challenges in this particular department that involve labor. And so it's been a series, a long process, actually, that she's done, I think, a fantastic job at creating now the space and the sense of... Uh, uh, shared understanding of what the needs are for the organization and for the patients, and so um, without uh, at least up to now uh, avoiding a, a, a what could have been a pretty horrific labor uh, matter, and historically probably would have been one. So it takes a little while to kind of work through that. So so there's a series of ongoing discussions as David was uh, alluding to that she's having with the labor folks around uh, that particular opportunity uh, on the nursing side and some of the staffing uh, pieces. There is now. A very routine, um, um, I don't know if it's weekly, uh, but it is quite a, a periodic uh, a engagement between the HR recruiters and, and leadership, the business partners, and the various uh, um, nursing leaderships at all the sites to talk about the vacancies and moving those through in a much more uh, uh, timely and uh, coordinated fashion to get those positions filled and then to subsequently um, um, wind down some of the uh, registry utilization and other sort of opportunities we have. So, depending on where it is in the organization, there are a lot of different. Why is it so are, hard after four months in the organization? I know we're big. Sure. To reduce some of these costs that you know are really providing a headwind to us when we should be not having a headwind before we get a big headwind. So I think it's an ebb and flow thing. I mean, things happen over time because one to recruit for positions takes a while to hire people, then onboard them, and then actually work on the labor contracts. These things are in works, and they're actually moving, but uh, they still take time to kind of work themselves through them to see the impact on the P&L. Uh, but they are, you know, we're, we're, we're confident now that there is a, and, and for some time now has been some urgency around this. And it, to be perfectly honest, uh, for the first part of the year, um, we spent a lot of time working on operational planning to kind of get things in underway, and then we had some leadership vacancies uh, that we've been filling. Um, uh, so it wasn't a really acute focus on some of these things, but since the beginning of the calendar year, so January, there has been a, a really heightened awareness of where our opportunities exist and focus on actually improving them. And I think the February numbers show that they're on the expense side, we're seeing some improvement there, and it's just working its way through. I did want to highlight uh, some of our key projects. So ambulatory access redesign uh, is well underway, and they're gearing up for implementation. Uh, on the benchmarking system, we're expecting to bring in a recommendation to you either next month or perhaps the month after on a, a benchmarking system and also um, sort of purchasing opportunities. 
Um, physician charge capture is complete. We're now gearing up for uh, implementation. Uh, we, uh, and I mentioned, we'll come back with a much more detailed um, assessment of what we need to do next year. The uh, financial rebuild of Soaring Financials is right on track. It should be alive July, July 1st. Uh, commercial contracting, we've got contract with Cigna. We believe we'll close on Aetna very shortly. We're trading uh, rate assessments with Blue Shield right now, and we're still awaiting uh, Blue Cross to get back to us. Um, I can mention, though, that um, the uh, uh, survey of our uh, uh, Level 1 trauma program is going on, and I was privileged to attend the session last night. And one of the things they asked, actually the first question was, gee, how do you, how do you get a 33% commercial payer mix for your trauma program? And I was actually kind of surprised I was at that high because it's 10% for the hospital in total. But um, uh, the program manager, Steve Thomas, gave a good answer, which is, well, you know, we're right, right next to the freeway. There's a lot of accidents, so the patients come here. And the other thing as we dig into it is we have a system-wide agreement with Kaiser. So there's really no problem when there's a Kaiser patient. That's a problem for the patient, obviously. But um, from a, you know bringing them into our hospital, this is where the Kaiser patients come to. Mm -hmm. So from the trauma program. So um, that's really good because when you have good contracts um, and a 33% mix in trauma, yeah. which is a high dollar service, that really brings in a lot of money. What's the current status of the Alameda contracts with the insurance companies? Uh, so we have Cigna. Aetna, I think, will be signed within a week or two. Blue Shield are trading paper, and we're waiting for Anthem to they owe us a proposal. So it sounds like Anthem is the only one that's not imminent? Yeah. It's not. I wouldn't say it's imminent. It's it's not a – there's no problem. It's just – they're just like, okay, we're just busy with people. And people and you said it's the only one that's not imminent. So. It's not imminent. No, yeah. it's not yeah. the other yeah. Nothing's at, at, nothing's occurring on a weekly basis. The other ones are all moving right on track. Can I ask one more kind of uh, off-topic? Yeah. It's, but it's finance. Um, our three-year contract with the city of San Leandro for the city to provide support for services there has come to an end, correct? Uh, the support agreement? Uh -huh. I believe that's over. A yeah. million a year? Correct. Yeah, yeah I believe that's over. Fourteen. Is and we've just absorbed the rest in our budget to, yes. to go yes. forward. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we've we've restructured the the operations and the costs are, are adjusted to the scale of the operations. That was and, and during that period, we we gained de, uh, designated public hospital status for San Leandro. So they picked up, you know, a few million. So we get some supplemental. Yeah. But that's how it's working. Great. Thank you very much. You're quite welcome. Okay. So now I'm going to just review some numbers. These are all year to date, uh, February. And um, so I'm going to start on the bottom here. So these are the uh, uh, patient activities. So you can see here that discharges are actually low budget and down by uh, prior year by 6%. And that's largely due to this length of stay increase. I said 20%, uh, said but it's not. It's 9.4%. Uh, I'm not sure. But anyway, it's current length of stay is 535 um, 4.89 is last year. Now, this is the entire system. I think if you look at Highland, that's where the length of stays really come up. So our patient um, volume is down because our length of stay is so Well, the interesting longer. thing is the census is up. So the beds are full, 279 versus 272, but fewer patients. Fewer, patients, fewer discharges because the length of stay has gone from 4.89 to 5.35. Case mix index is also up. 
Is that the census that's down? It's the amount yeah. of discharge. Discharge yeah. is so, that's down. So, so this this focus on throughput, everything you know, Luis and his team are doing on throughput, the referral center, you know, all that is doing the right things because the, the demand is there for these beds. Uh, on post acute care, the census has gone. A discharge has gone from 525.44. The census. Uh, they're basically 99.9% full, so they've gone from 292 to 293. And then the clinic visits have increased uh, just about 0.3%, so pretty flat year to year and uh, below budget. We're a little, a little aggressive. Um, so if you look at the performance for the year, uh, we have um, on revenue, we're 4% ahead of budget and 8% growth from prior year. And on expenses, we're 4.5% over budget and 8.8 from .8 prior year. And But we're pretty close on operating income. If those offset each other, we're at about a... That's because our supplemental income continues to be pretty steady. It, it has supplementals up 5%. Or it's up... Uh, supplementals are up 4.5 this year. Net patient is up 9.8 this year. Okay. Now, the problem we're facing... It as we look forward is it's harder and harder to get, you know, additional revenue over and above CPI. And then some of the supplementals are starting to yeah. starting to actually drop. Yeah. So we need to anticipate that. Now we're now we're working on some things and Delvecchio was in uh, Sacramento this week working on uh, an important issue on related party cost and then we've been I think last month we reported on this uh, MCE to cost issue where in 72, it's going to drop. Yeah. We're seeing there might be a window to, to maybe get that up. That's what we're going to be talking with uh, CAPH and some others about how to make that happen. So that would be a really good mm -hmm. uh, good result if we can address that issue. What are the chances of our drop or our flattening in patient and supplemental revenue um, being quicker than our ability to manage our expenses? We don't have them under control. Um, well, the, the supplementals are predictable. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, absent absent one-time gains, like if we get this MC to cost issue, that would be a 3% okay. gain right there going forward. Absent that, we're looking at 3 to 4%. And so that's, when we look at expense growth, because you know, it's got to, it, you know, it needs to get down in that range long term. Because uh, what we really need to be looking at is 2021, exactly where the right. waiver ends. We really don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen. There's a potential for a big fall off there. So we need to be kind of targeting that rather than following the revenue trend. We need to be shooting for yeah. Okay. Um, and then, uh, so here's the more detail on revenue. And the um, uh, big thing I'm looking at is this collection ratio here. 31% is really, really good. That's actually an improvement over last year, even though we raised rates 5%. So I'm very happy with that. Uh, here's the detail on the uh, supplementals. I can answer any questions about that. Mm -hmm. And then here's the trend. Now, this is interesting. So we've been re reporting on the big growth in uh, expenses and FTEs. Um, but look, in February, it's down. Okay? And that's uh, FTEs is not because there's fewer days. I mean, you have the same number of FTEs. Um, so that's good. And then the expenses are really, really down. So that was part of that would be accounted because there are only 28 days yeah. in a month, too. Part of it, well. but, but not all. Would that be the only about half of it. Uh, is, I checked. Yeah. Part, of, part of it is, is, yeah. is you know, shorter days. The, other, the, the, the census is still high, but the districts yeah. are low. So mm -hmm. yeah. 
it's really you know it's some opportunity that that, that is being realized. The thing I should say about kind of you know managing these costs too is, is uh, obviously when I say there's sort of an ebb and a flow, you know you can you can you can make some improvements in one place, but then you either create an unintended consequence somewhere else, or you experience or learn of something that is now another uh, opportunity. And we have one of these actually. Um, Sort of at the end of the year, but but coming into this year uh, uh, in our labor area, um, 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 our nursing costs, um, we we're experiencing a, a a growth in the cost. It's related to uh, meal, it's various break coverages, so meals and um, and breaks, um, um, sort of 15-minute non-lunch breaks. Uh, we were not. There were several parts of the organization where we weren't consistently providing those coverages and it came up as a labor matter and so to address it uh, uh, um, systematically now we're realizing that we have to increase staffing in certain areas to be able to reliably do that and not have to use overtime or registry and other things uh, uh, that we were either doing or not doing in certain cases and so so that's an uh, that's a a expense that we weren't incurring and or anticipating over the year that now we have to absorb and still do that in the concept of, in the context of trying to manage some of the other opportunity costs. Here's the detail on expenses. So you can see uh, you know, four and a half percent of the budget, eight point eight, and uh, you know same area registry, which uh, I know that there's a team working on that, and contracted positions, which is really uh, the increase at uh, John George with the traditions behavioral health program. The rest of them are pretty little something down. Uh, but again, on in the month of uh, February, we're actually, I think, only like 0.8% over budget. So we're really close to budget in February. How's March looking? Uh, it's too early to say for March. <laughs> too early to say. <laughs> so do you know, I mean, for registry, you know, what, what's, you said that there was something, um, you know, how, we've been saying this for a long time now, the mm -hmm. registry, and I know you all have been working on that. What are, what are some ways, you know, in the short term that's happening to mitigate our use. So one is the more aggressive hiring and filling vacancies so that we can actually uh, pull that down. The other coordinates is um, uh, an opportunity to, to actually improve the reconciliation process and create a, a more timely awareness of the use of registry to be able to make some uh, different decisions around whether we need to use uh, the registry or not. Uh, but at the end of the month when we invoice, um, uh, the way in which that whole process happens, uh, there's an opportunity for us to make sure that that what we're actually uh, invoiced for uh, reconciles with what we actually use. I don't know if that's going to uh, um, create or, or um, identify an area where we perhaps have not, the billing hasn't been correct, uh, but it is still an area where the reconciliation process, uh, um, we've identified a, a need to actually tighten that up a little bit more. So, so there's that, there's actually just the usage. It potentially is something around how we then, you know, when, when we contract for the registry, we do that for a defined period of time. So even if you bring in somebody and you can onboard them, um, uh, you still have a run out period with the registry that even if you didn't use them, you'd be obligated to pay for because of the arrangements with the, the contracts that we do have. And I think that the other thing we're doing is looking at those contracts to see if there's different uh, opportunities for us to engage different sources. I think that's something we're doing now where we have begun to not just uh, restrict ourselves to one um, uh, sort of vendor that we have for exclusive use of several 
um, uh, registries, but we're actually engaging some directly ourselves. So and when I, is it? Oh, go ahead, yeah. please. And Louis, you had mentioned that you know some of those structural changes, even with the same vendor, besides like the shift hours and things like that, wasn't there something like eight hour shift, ten hour shifts? I don't know. Is that something? The duration of was something that was being looked at. Uh, or am I, was I think that's related, related to, the to something staffing else? for the contract. Okay. Okay. So, okay, so I must be thinking of something else. Yeah. If we're fully staffed, if our budget for patients is the same or a teeny bit less than, why the registry? Why are we still having each of them? I mean, I'm looking at budget. We're 4120 people. We're budgeted for a 4117. So to me, that means we're fully staffed. We're on budget, if not a little ahead. Um, our revenue from patients is, you know, the same, uh, basically, but yet we're still, you know, I think that may be a so. misread it. Tell me when you when we when you're looking at the paid FTE numbers, those aren't those aren't necessarily dis, distinct individuals. Those are those that actually can include overtime uh, and other costs that are are, are are for the same staff. It doesn't. We have vacancies, so we're still having to fill those vacancies with, with regular staff. So so it's not just uh, the 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 staffing for that. It's also the the, the registry use and and another part is the thing I just pointed out that. Um, um, there were expenses that we were, weren't, or there were things that we should have been doing that we weren't doing that came up as a labor matter that we're right. addressing that uh, suggested perhaps we actually need additional staff. So, so that some of that is, I think, playing out in the registry numbers as well. If the registry is on a contracted time basis, mm -hmm. first I've heard of that, when is it reasonable to expect those contracts to be up and to see those numbers come down? We've been talking about it for four months and nothing's budged. So I'm just curious if there's runoff to happen, when does that run off? Yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I'd have to look at the numbers. Are, are the registry numbers, are, I don't know that they have sustained over time. They're, they're the registry's been five to six hundred percent over budget as long as I've been here. They're, they're over, you mean year to date? Well, month to month, year to date. They're all, they've all been, I mean, in February they went down. Um, but they're still 521% year-to-date over budget. Right, but I'm saying, like, so February they, they went down. So we'll have to see what happens in March, but February they went down. So, so as I said, we started really heavily focusing on this in January. Uh, and, you know, January obviously it's sustained. February it's come down. We'll see. That's only one data point, but we can certainly see what happens in March and okay. as we move forward. But did you want to add anything to this? No, uh, David, I mean, the, the typical contract for registry runs 13 weeks, so once we've contracted, each individual is 13 weeks. If during that period we need to extend, we have them for another 13 weeks. So it's not actually a one-to-one. -one. A vacancy occurs, we replace it with the registry, someone goes on a leave, there's an extension of that registry. So that's the minimum. Right. So the minimum is typically 13 weeks for registry, and so we have multiple of those contracts with individuals coming in. The paid FTEs includes registry. And so it's not necessarily, uh, you know, if we're running at that rate, that would include the registry number. So it's so not that we're at that to, number yeah. plus registry. Now, mm -hmm. the registry line item is separate and distinct from a cost perspective, but it's included also in mm -hmm. FTEs. So we fully staff with registry, not separately from So if we've already committed, then we should know this minute if registry in March is going to be less than and April is going to be less than and June is going to be less than. We could calculate that out about how many registry contracts we have in nursing, yeah. 
it would be helpful to have that maybe for the next trustees meeting so that we don't have to continue to talk about it. But to be told, no, there's nothing we can do for three well, months because we've signed contracts, or yes, there's a reasonable way to. We get could that. we could identify when the current registry contracts expire per individual. They may in fact be re-upped before before they expire, depending upon what the, whether or not we fill the position and whether people are onboarded in that time, or whether new leaves, for example, I think we have 15 leaves of absence in the ED right now, which would be covered by registry more than likely. We could hire some people, or we may have uh, per diems or sans covering those, but new leaves will likely come up in that period of time. And so it's, a, it's an ever-fluctuating ebb and flow, as, as Delvecchio was saying. And so it's hard to forecast it, but we can certainly identify when existing contracts are intended to mm -hmm. end. Okay. Yeah. Whack-a-mole. All, all hospitals yeah. have. Um, mm. Quick question, and then we need to move on. What's the comp? I know what a compensation ratio. What is this compensation ratio, and why is it continuing to go up? Um, is this an aggregate for all the hospitals? Yeah, this, this adds um, salaries and wages, benefits, and registry together and divides by total revenue. And when we did the uh, turnaround <clears throat> um, back in 2014, we were running 72, 73%, and we said as part of the turnaround, we need to get this down around 60 long-term target is 60%, which is kind of an industry benchmark. Um, and we've had it down uh, to, uh, you know, last year at this time we are at 63, which was good, um, big improvement. This year it's coming up because yeah. um, um, wage growth is outpacing revenue growth. Okay. So the target's 60? Long-term, long-term. Okay. Please continue. Thank you. Okay. And this is just the property by facility, so unless there's questions, I'll jump past that. I think everybody's, um, with the exception of ambulatory, has a positive contribution margin at this point. And we're working on the ambulatory. Um, this is the metric report right of the county. I'm not going to go through it. You've seen most of the information. Uh, let's talk about the balance sheet. Okay, so here's some of the key issues on the balance sheet. Uh, days in AR are coming back down to 62 uh, from 63. I'm hoping to get them down to 60 by year end. Uh, days in AP is uh, 55. Uh, this is a slightly updated from what you have in your package. Yours ended right there. I got this uh, this week, so I put it in. The show is coming down. I've been talking to our uh, uh, AP department about what's going on. I think there are reasons, but, um, you know, we want to get this down a little bit. Any of them good? Um, you know, it's just individual large vendors that are out there, so it's no – I don't think anybody local is being hurt by it. We, we continue to pay attention. Right. I just want you to know that. Appreciate it. And then here's uh, aging, which I mentioned is improving, so we're happy with that. I know this is really hard to read, but um, the, the graph kind of shows that it's current. It's pretty current. So uh, we feel pretty good about the direction we're going in aging. Now, we've got to talk really about... It's really good to see how little there is about yeah. 120, and remember yeah. two years ago how much yeah. more there was. I know. Yeah, it was all out there. Now, we need to spend some time on this. This is important. So this is... Uh, Last time uh, we mentioned that um, we now, on the MCE to cost issue for two years, know both the amount and the approximate timing. We were expecting this to happen around here with about 36 million, and now it's going to happen here with 72 million, and here with another 72 million. So by September, we expect to get about $140 million, and the net negative balance will drop to close to zero at that point. Now, obviously, going up afterwards. 
Um, now, not included in this, we're currently um, talking to the county about our health pack agreement, and they have come back with an addendum that they have proposed, which we expect to complete fairly quickly, but it's going to be an additional $23 million that is not in the budget and not in this forecast. Okay, so that's really going to solidify the performance for this fiscal year, and it will uh, drop this number whenever it comes in. We think it will come in the first week of July by another $20 million, $23 million. Okay. Now, that's all good news. The only problem with this is that at that point in time, that red line cannot exceed the blue line or we're out of compliance. So we have – if that were to occur, if we think it's going to occur, we have to formally notify the county that that's going to happen. We haven't done that yet, but we have informally notified of, of them of this and had a discussion about, you know, what the ramifications are, what's the range, and what would happen. And those discussions have been very positive. And I think that the uh, auditor indicated that, you know, this is something he can work with us on this. Um, the other uh, thing we're, we're looking at is potentially going to the alliance and saying, you know, this money is going to come through you and you've got most of it already. Why don't you just advance it to us right here and, you know, formally get rid of that problem. So. Um, I do. I, I want you to be aware of this, but I don't want you to worry about it. I think we're in very good position. We have a very good relationship. Yeah, with surely the with four-month notice of, yeah. a, of a 30-day covenant violation with revenue yeah. guarantee to come in shouldn't be a big deal for them to stomach. Yeah. Now, the the other thing um, that I want you to note is there. This is just for 18, but there's a now going to be a very big gap, which we will call ca uh, capital availability uh, on this graph. Okay, so that means that, for example, when we get into the, um, the rehab project, which Louise mentioned, $33.5 million project, we were thinking, well, maybe we need to finance that with commercial debt. Well, you know, we, we've got a banker right here, the county, so we can, we can just accommodate that. When we get into the um, EHR discussions, you know, uh, which is going to happen around here, you know, it's a 10-year agreement. The question is, well, can we afford to, to do this? You know, this capital availability gives us some cushion here in considering those things because, you know, we need to think long-term about, you know, do we have the long-term ability to generate the cash necessary to do everything. But it's nice to, nice to be in a sorry, position where we have this availability. And, and keep in mind that this will be down another $20 million because of this uh, health back Okay. So is that the health pack hasn't been included in it, it has not that, been so yet. That's something it has that not been. Like Does your forecast include um, 2018 budget assumptions? Uh, it includes the 2018 target, which is a 6% EBITDA. Yeah, I thought so. going to be considerably worse. Yeah. So if we, you know, uh, if we, over a long-term basis, if we didn't operate with that forecast, or if we operated. We didn't generate enough to pay for capital and debt service. You can you can eat up this cushion pretty quickly. So it's okay. And well, I'll do a longer term forecast uh, in the near future. Okay. Um, this is an update. That's this is the information supporting the cash forecast. So you can see that the two seventy two millions are right there and right there. Okay. Um, that completes the monthly review, and I'm prepared to go to the budget. Okay. So at a high level, um, 
what we've been doing is a comprehensive review of all the departments. We have a team called the Budget Oversight Group that does this. Uh, those have been very good meetings. We've had a very thorough review of all of the strategic business units and support units. We have a few more to go. We have ambulatory, we have um, professional services, and we have uh, some of the support departments that are all coming through. Uh, currently, with where we are, we have a 1.9% even margin, uh, which includes year-over-year -year growth of 2.6 and expense growth of 7.3. Um, I mentioned that we have a few more to go. Um, this is a um, summary. So the co what we're doing here is this is historical, 16, 17. Here's the initial target. This was a 6% we're trying to do. This is what's currently in the system right here. This is the 1.8. And then these are things that we've identified, but we haven't updated the budget module yet. So we've sort of agreed to do these, and we have another $3 million in revenue and uh, $2 million of expenses, so we actually improve. That gets us over to here, this column. And here's where we're showing that the year-over-year -year growth would be 2.6% revenue, 7.3 on expenses, and then uh, currently 1.9. Now, your next question would be, well, what are you going to do about this? To yeah, why would we be working on a budget that doesn't support the agreed-upon EBITDA goals? Uh, yeah, okay. So um, we're about to start having that discussion. Uh, one is, you know, what should the goal be? Can we, is it realistic to hit 6%? Uh, but the way to get to that is to first start talking about uh, revenue and then expenses. Okay, so I think 2.6% is really not – we have to do better than that. So – the reason I had the revenue cycle group today, together today, was say, well, what, what is the opportunity? So I think there's probably, you know, $5 million in pro-fee, $5 million in other revenue cycle, and then we've got, you know, reimbursement opportunities. So there's 10, maybe 15, and then if for some reason we can deal with this MT to cost issue, that could be, you know, 20 million. It could be, you know, a relatively big number. So I would like to, I'm not really willing to commit yet, but I think we can get that up to 5 or 6%, which would be good. So this is just between, like, the, uh, the profits and the charge capture, you think it could Yeah, one of the, one of the things um, we've been trying to do since we've been here is improve charge capture at the departmental level, and we have been unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that this organization has never really had to do that you know, particularly when it's part of the county, it's carried over. And, we, you know, we keep thinking, well, we'll just educate managers and they'll do it, but they've never done it before. It's hard to educate. They don't really even get into the system that they would use to do that. And so now we're thinking a different approach. You know, this isn't a recommendation yet, but what we're thinking is we need to create a charge reconciliation unit, small group people, temporary unit, whose only job is to look at patient activity and say, do we have a charge in the system? Do we have it all the way through? Once we do that, I mean, that'll, that should be an immediate payoff because we'll start getting the charges through. But then it'll also allow us to go back and work with our managers and say, okay, now we want to transition this back to you. Okay. But it's just, it just has not been as simple, never simple, but it hasn't been as easy as we thought it would be. So there, there are issues like that. I mentioned the throughput issue that uh, and Dave's in the committee too. Uh, and there were, there were a range of others uh, in the areas like, um, uh, you know, charge, charge documentation improvement, mm -hmm. uh, which was a, another process that uh, Dave is managing. And, uh, the director has a really nice program that uh, perhaps could even be presented here at some point, but I think that will pay off. Uh, 
So you know, there, there's there's room on there's there's room on revenue. So we, next time you see this, we will have gone through that discussion, and revenue will be better, and the margin will be better. Um, and then of course we'll have to do the uh, the detailed review on expenses as well. I mean, our capex budget isn't part of this, like EHR. Is that correct? I didn't see it on. No, no, I, I didn't put it right. in this presentation, but it's been in. The, it's obviously in the financial plan, um, and uh, the uh, operating costs of the EHR will be largely capitalized for that those two years. So we wouldn't hit the operating budget. Although I think there will be some. It'll hit cash. There'll be some. They'll send some. Paying it every year. Yeah. And no one point eight percent EBITDA. We won't have a capex budget, so that'll save a lot of time. <laughs> I say that totally tongue <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. But I mean, there's a, it's there's a, rea there's a reality. There's a, there's a reality to it. Okay. I mean, that I know you know. But, uh, okay. So let's see. What else? Um, the rest of this here, this is the uh, patient activity that's in the budget. Basically, we said we're going to keep this pretty flat because what, what typically happens is departments um, have a, is that we're going to increase ambulatory visits by 10%. That justifies additional staffing, which you build into the budget. People hire people, hire staff, and then you know you don't get the volume, and you know you still have the staff. So obviously this time we're going to be really conservative. Now. Hopefully that means we'll do better on volume than this. And um, here's the detail on revenue. Um, again, I think the thing to point out here is currently, uh, let's see, so this year we're projecting net. Patient revenue 639. We've got 675. That's a 5.5% growth rate, which is actually pretty good. If you look at supplementals, 323 to 313. So it's starting to fall off. Mm -hmm. Now maybe we get this MC to cost or some other things, and, and that helps. But um, that's th this is this is going to continue. Okay. This is going to continue because the wa the waiver funding starts dropping off next year and keeps going down, and it disappears in 2021. Is there anything we should be doing on an emergency basis to capture revenue that we're losing? You mentioned it. I, I think it's this charge reconciliation issue. What so do we need to do to implement thing. that tomorrow? Um, we probably need to hire four to six relatively, you know, easy staff. I mean, less expensive staff, clerical types that can just say. I'm going to look at the activity that occurred. There were, you know, 30 visits in this department. Do I have 30 charge tickets? It's, it's pr pretty much that simple. Maybe, I, maybe I'm over simplifying, but but it's pretty much it. It's been going on for a long time. It used to be when I, when I first got into healthcare. There's a room of 30 people. It's all paper, and you just you you, you just how many how many patients right. showed up? How many charge tickets? Do I have? You know, basically that. So what, what do you think, I mean, looking at that, and I don't want us to be, um, in terms of EBITDA, thinking that six is, what, what is your, your, what is viable or feasible given all of this that you think in your head might be something that, you know, is a more realistic? Well, we, we've had it up to six, we've had it up to seven. We've right? had it up to and, seven, and I yeah. Think if but we can, in the long term, given what we have, I mean, you're still doing your calculations, but, uh, yeah. I mean, three, four? No. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I don't know. You have an opinion. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it just depends on where the organization's priorities are. I mean, if, I was if, say, yeah, if, if you want to do the things If the organization do, says, no, 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 we have to have a 6 percent margin, we can probably do that. We have to just 
make tough choices. Say, no, 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 we, you know, we really want to put extra money into these areas, and you're willing to live with 3%, and, you know, for a period of time. And, and, you know, but the problem is once you start getting down to 3 it's hard to get it back up. So. We just want a realistic budget, and we really want to also be, you know, going for a higher EBITDA. It's just that we, when you present the budget to us, you don't want us to say, ah, oh, that's never going to happen. You yeah. know, like, so yeah. it's right. that, and, you know, that one of the current choice between stretch and, right. and reality. And one of, one of the concerns which um, Anthony mentioned to me earlier is, um, you know, the last time we did a big system conversion, it almost put the place out of business. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, we didn't bill for you know, six months. Yeah. So we had this huge run-up in receivables, which ate up like $60 million. There were other issues that affected operations. The operating performance went you know, negative. And, you know, it probably consumed $100 million. Now, I, I know that this one's going to go much better. It's going to be perfect. Yeah. But, Collectively. you know, from, yeah. a, from an organization yeah, yeah, standpoint. Yeah, I, you, you I love wanna, how all the focus went there. Yeah. You, you kind of want to have a little bit of cushion, a little bit of money in the bank, just, yeah, just, in, case, just in case, just in case. It seems, uh, obviously, I don't know how many of us were around at that point, but um, uh, the other sort of uh, cautionary elements of that were, were the other large-scale activities that were happening at the time, acquisition of two facilities in the same space as a development and a go-live is, yeah. is pretty pretty taxing to any system, let alone one that's was challenged before that, but certainly one, you know, that, or one that wasn't challenged before that, but certainly one that was, I think, you know, proof was in some ways predictable. Yeah, we need to move on. Do you have yes. any other questions? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to, I'm going to look at revenue, try to get that up to maybe a billion. It'd be nice to have a nice round billion dollars on there. Uh, here's the expense budget. So um, we currently on a run rate at about 917. We set a target at 948. The current requests are about 984, uh, so 7% increase. And we have FTEs. We're currently running about 4118. And in this current budget, we have 4499. Um, well, that's uh, got to be reviewed. So. Um, okay. And let's see. This is uh, just kind of looking at it by SBU, if you're interested. So this is the, you see the expense growth. Uh, so you're looking at uh, this column projected. Here's the target. Here's the current request. This ties, here's your 982 that ties to the other worksheet. And then here's where the uh, FTE growth is occurring. Here's the increase over 2017, and this is an increase over the target. Done. I would hire those four people, throw them in registry, which is 600% over budget anyway, and get to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> Only a comment. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Presenter. Yeah. Uh, just, so uh, the budget piece, just before you go, sorry, I do want to say, and I think you appreciate this, um, 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 uh, certainly Trustee Banerjee would, but uh, we show the obviously the Finance Committee, but, but the Board as well, how the budget is progressing, because that was one of the uh, request of the board, and it obviously makes it a publicly messy process because we would be doing this otherwise, kind of behind the scenes and bringing back to you something that didn't show all the sort of fluctuations as we go through the various assessments. Uh, but you know, hopefully that either either that is welcomed and still is helpful for you. But if it's 
a little crazy making for you to see it too. That would be helpful to know so that we could then. No, it's no, 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 it gives us three months to yeah. figure out how to resign. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Duly <laughs> noted. Dave, please. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can figure out how to make all that money, I'm here to spend it all. Yeah. Uh, this uh, project will consume um, a mass amount of resources. Yes. And so we're in a time period now of lots of activity. Uh, so since we last met, we sent out the RFP and we received them back. So uh, there was a request to extend the, the, the re response from April 3rd, which was Monday, to April 7th, which is tomorrow. And we received them both today. Uh, both Turner and Epic actually came in the same delivery. Uh, both packages were in the same uh, delivery that arrived at our door. So that was pretty exciting to get both of them at the same time. Uh, now the hard work starts with the review. Uh, it's a massive uh, document uh, from each vendor that's been sent back to us. So there's uh, a smaller group of a committee, smaller being still in the tens, but as in 40, 50 people will review the RFPs and score each one of the responses from the vendors. And then later this month, we'll have Cerner come on to do their on-site demos, and then Epic will come back in May to do their demos. Uh, for the Cerner sign-ups, we, we have people sign up for the demos because it's a paid activity, and we want to make sure we've got the space and logistics for that to work. Uh, we have over 300 people that have signed up to participate in the demo process. It's been our commitment to make sure we have wide participation in the process uh, to get strong buy-in from the organization to do this process. I think part of the issue of the previous go-lives was lack of participation organizationally yeah. of those live events. Mm -hmm. uh, while the individual departments might have been involved, the Sorian financial review, obviously the whole part of revenue tracking and all that, Sorian is very process focused mm -hmm. uh, to get it all captured up front and then at the back end works very nicely. If the front end doesn't work, the back end doesn't work. And so that's a piece of a lot of the work that's been changed is how do we fix that processes to get it in. Uh, at this point, getting the buy-in from the entire organization in this process is incredibly important. Uh, and so that's what we're working on doing. That's why we have over 300 people participating in the, in the demos. Uh, each one of them uh, will fill out a score sheet as they go through the demos. The demos are all scripted that the vendors will go through. Uh, if there's additional questions, we've set up kind of a, a solution gallery for people to attend and ask their other questions beyond what's in the scripted demos. So they can see that and get those uh, really where the vendor can show off their bells and whistles in that solution gallery because we were very focused on the processes that we're going to do thousands of times a day, not the one really cool thing we could do, look at this really cool report we could produce, right, that, that wows everyone and distracts them from the things that we do a thousand times a day. Uh, so those processes will happen uh, again later this month. Uh, those over 1,000 uh, score sheets that come back to us will all be tallied to, to evaluate and go into the overall scoring process that we're doing over the next two months. Uh, so the, the key piece of this, as you'll see in, in April and May, uh, the demos will occur. The, the total cost of ownership is we'll, we'll take those proposals that have come back. Uh, Lidos is the consultant we're working with on this. We'll, we'll evaluate all of the numbers that have been sent back to us and produce this total cost of ownership from each vendor. That not only includes what the vendor is sending us in terms of pricing, it includes what are our costs that we'll need to add. What's the operating cost that needs to be added to that? What's the capital cost that we'll add in people? Additional FTEs, additional consultants, additional software we have to buy that's not part of the vendor's proposal, if there are any of those. So it really builds out that entire package so we understand what is this total cost so that we, we come to you later in the year uh, for, with this project. You see the whole thing. Uh, we're, we're using a 10-year projection on that total cost so you get a full idea of a long-range plan of how do we afford to pay for this. And so Dave has been highly involved in the process with me as kind of co-chair of the CHR selection process to get us there so that when you see it, you see a, a full package of everything we expect, and there's 
uh, hopefully no uh, gotchas along the way of those high cost overruns because something was left out of the plan. Well, that's what Lidos is for, too, right? Uh, that's right. what Lidos and Foley are helping us yeah. uh, through. Foley and Lardner is our, uh, the firm that's leading the RFP process and have built the, uh, actually, in the RFP, we sent out essentially the entire contract. Uh, and so the vendors have to respond to all of our contract terms in the RFP process. Uh, so, so we've already begun the negotiations with those vendors in this process. So by June, you'll process. have the June board meeting is when we are going to have at least some of the... Um, yeah, on this target, uh, at, at the June board meeting, you, you would hear who our leading vendor is at that point. Right, right, right. right. And Foley is coaching us on this to say we are in negotiations with both vendors until we make a until we sign a contract. Okay. Right. So we'll be working with them continuously through this process. We'll have a leading vendor by June. Mm -hmm. uh, we will have completed our executive site visits to the to the corporate offices to mm -hmm. talk about partnership and 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 how we work as a partner together in, in ensuring a successful implementation. That we don't have a project that's like what our story in live was. Uh, that we don't have a project that was like other stories that hit the news, right? That are big failures, huge cost overruns, uh, losing tons of money. That, that's not the story that we plan to build with this. And so that's what will happen over the next uh, next several months. Uh, lots of activity, lots of scoring. Uh, that comes back to June with that leading vendor. And then I, I expect a, a presentation back to the Finance Committee in September or October. Uh, maybe November, December, so we're still working through that. How long does it take to get a, a contract fully negotiated and all of the financing in place for that? Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. Any public comment? Yes. Any other comments? Motion to adjourn? Adjourn? Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks.